BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Podcast ain't play nobody. Alex Kirshner. Derek Klassen. 2020 NFL Combine. We're doing the thing. Uh, We're going to talk Quarterbacks. Um, the most interesting position in pro sports, the most interesting position in college sports. Uh, we have our quarterback expert, Derek, with us. We are live from the Courtyard Marriott in, eh, we'll call it beautiful, Indianapolis, Indiana. It um, is beautiful, Indianapolis, Indiana. In a way. Um, you could find the beauty in many things. Derek, what's good? Welcome to the show, baby. Uh, I'm, I'm doing good, man. Uh, first time I think I've been on with you guys, so very good to be here. And uh probably lean on Richard's side in terms of uh determining how beautiful Indianapolis you guys is. don't appreciate art <laughs> <laughs> um so Derek Derek is uh, I don't know if quarterback guru is that too much can I say that am I allowed to say that so I think it's more for me it's a time investment thing I just put a lot of time in how much I know you just watch I guess a that's a shitload of football yeah how much I know is for the viewer to decide do you eat tape I try. You know, it's, <laughs> it depends if you want to saute here. You, know, okay. you never know what you want to do with it. Okay. Reverse sear the tape. Yeah. Better than the steak at St. Elmo. hey <laughs> Um Derek, so I, I, my first question or our first question is like, how did you get into this? You did not coach. For all I know, you are not a quarterback tutor. How did you kind of get into, uh, as we say, grinding the tape? I mean, really, by accident. I actually was a soccer player in high school. Yeah. So this was... Um, I think heading into like the the middle of soccer season, my uh, sophomore year of high school, which was like 2012, 2013 or something like that. And I had actually just I didn't really want to play anymore. And so I stopped playing soccer, but I decided I should do something kind of productive. And football had always been kind of my first love anyway. And uh, I'd always been good in English class. So I was like, you know what? I'll just start writing about football and kind of see where it goes just just for fun, just because I needed to do something. Um, And it kind of just. I started with NFL draft because at least at the time that was probably the easiest way to get into, you know, the scene or whatever. So I just started doing a bunch of draft work and I started at the time as everyone does watching 400 players or whatever. But (laughs) uh, as each passing year, you know, the the amount of players I watched kind of slowed down because I realized it was mostly useless after like 150. Um, And also with each passing year, I kind of just got more and more attached to the quarterback position because I just thought it was 
I mean, you mentioned it earlier, it's the most interesting position in pro sports, whether that comes down to the mental side or, you know, just some of those that they have to make. It's such a unique position in football. So I kind of just gravitated to it and became the uh, QB guy, I guess. What is um, what is your favorite part about draft Twitter and what is your least favorite part about draft Twitter? Uh, my least favorite part about draft, draft Twitter for the most part, um, and this is, I think, maybe a little bit less of a problem now, is it just it takes itself very, very seriously. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's just a lot of, uh, I mean, yeah, it just takes itself very seriously when you think about it at the end of the day. I mean, these guys are running in spandex right now for the combine. <laughs> so like, the, like, it's not really like that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. It's not that serious. Um, and sports in general aren't that serious. So I think that part is kind of a, a little bit frustrating to me. I think the best part is actually, I've probably met a lot of my closest, like real life best friends through draft Twitter. Yeah. Um, and some of them have maybe gone on to do non-draft related stuff now. Like you guys know Charles McDonald. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so just guys like that, like to have met them, you know, online first and then in person is just like, it, it's a really cool bonding experience, I think. Cool. Love it. So nothing to do with the football. <laughs> cool. I like that. I, uh, draft Twitter is, um, a place. Draft Twitter is, draft Twitter is a very interesting, uh, wormhole to go down. I, I think that, you know, I, amateur scouts or whatever you want to call them like i i think that draft twitter can get a bad rap um i think just like a lot of different football twitters i think draft twitter kind of toes this line between trying to sound like speaking a different language and trying to boil it down and bring it down for regular people. Like I think one of the things that I like the most about the work that you do is you talk about the game like humans talk about the game, like real people talk about the game. Um, we are not coaches, and although we we can kind of distill what they say down, um, you know, we don't have to speak like them. And so that's why, like, I was really excited to bring you on. Um, so I, I guess let's start with mechanics. Um, because we've, before we get to a quarterback and how they operate in a scheme, let's talk about mechanics. So you have whatever quarterback, I'll, I'll leave it to you to kind of use whatever quarterback you want or whatever quarterback archetype you want. How do you go at assessing a quarterback's mechanics? And I guess, when do you start, like, when do you start in on the, like 2021's draft class, I guess? I mean, in terms of mechanics, it's like, to at least to me having watched like so much quarterbacks now that's kind of like the first thing is you'll eat whether it's good or bad mechanic that they're doing you'll kind of start noticing all the different you know just tweaks that all these got different guys have that's kind of something that first pops off in my mind um with a lot of these guys and i think it's pretty important um but the problem is the guys like tom brady and peyton manning like ruined what we think of quarterback mechanics in, because, in what way? because so like if you're going to do everything like by the book, absolutely textbook, yes, like what Tom Brady does in terms of always having his feet planted directly and, and having this perfectly square torso all the time. Square to it, what? The target? Right, right. Well, you first you have him like um, not parallel to the line because that would be like straight across. Yeah. But like, you, you know what I mean? Where you're like you're making a cross with the line between your shoulders and the line of scrimmage. Right. And then snapping it forward to get your your uh, your shoulders square with the target once the ball is finally coming out like the way that they do it is obviously perfect but the problem is like teaching kids i think especially in this newer faster generation of a lot more spread offenses a lot more guys are throwing on the move it's just not realistic to expect guys to throw like that and so i think a lot of times the mistake people make now is when they're watching quarterbacks is they're wanting a guy that looks and throws like tom brady whereas like realistically good mechanics look a lot 
similar to it looks a lot closer to actually Patrick Mahomes and that was the funny thing is when he was coming out of college people were like oh well his footwork is awful yeah because it was kind of all over the place which is true but the thing with Patrick Mahomes and I think a lot of the really good quarterbacks now um, is that they kind of have done this thing where they've disassociated their lower body from their upper body because really at the end of the day like you mentioned it's getting your torso it's getting your shoulders squared to the target whether or not your feet are anywhere near there or, you know, it, like at, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter so long as you can snap around at the end. Um, and I think a guy like Patrick Mahomes does that from any platform. Um, and even Deshaun Watson, who has a significantly worse arm, can still make that happen because he's so flexible. And so to me, a lot of it comes down to like core strength and stuff like that. So when you, you're talking about you're talking about, all right, uh, let's say I have uh, let's say I have a slant route, okay. um, three step slant route, quick throw. You're saying kind of when you talk about kind of getting your torso around stuff like that, you're saying your your lower body and your platform can start moving towards the target to start the throw and you can kind of be late with your upper body. Is that kind of what you're talking about? It's it's more like it can be a little bit disassociated because like so if you're doing it by the book, you're going to. You know, you're going to drop back, you're going to point the inside of your back foot straight at your target, kind of like where you want your your shoulders to come out at yeah. the end. Um, and then you're going to have your front foot also kind of pointed at where your target area generally is supposed to be. But I think you don't necessarily always need to do that. It's just that if you're doing that, it usually makes it easier for your torso to come around cleanly because yeah. you're, you're not restricting yourself at all. Because I mean, we're, we're recording this staring out at this baseball stadium here in Indianapolis, and it yeah. makes me think how much, you know, in baseball, we sort of celebrate difference in mm-hmm. the ways that pitchers might have different windups that follow a couple of kind of core tenants, but are extremely different in most ways. How widely variant is it okay for quarterback mechanics to be? And at what point are you like this? There is just no way this will work over (laughs) over the long haul. I honestly, in terms of visuals, like I don't think it matters at all, actually. Like I think there's, there will be subtle differences that like maybe a guy is not, um, actually getting his hips around cleanly and a lot of times what that will be the issue is is like their front foot is way too tight to their body like uh, Josh Allen has this issue uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback Mitchell Trubisky has this issue a lot um, where their front foot will just always be so tight to their body and they're never moving it to give their upper body that kind of you know freedom because you that's the thing with footwork is that it doesn't necessarily need to be in the right spot all the time it just needs to be free enough that you're not like closing your hips so you can't move your upper body which i think is the beauty of mahomes is his feet are actually all over the place in such a free-flowing and beautiful way that he kind of just can move his upper body wherever he needs to but with josh is the problem with josh is the problem not a wide base like oh, it's face. that too. No, it's that too. Absolutely. <laughs> he has a lot of issues. It's just that he's he's one of those guys that it's actually he has like arms like saying that arm strength overcomes, you know, mechanics is usually BS. But I think he is actually in such a rare category that he can kind of get away with things that he probably shouldn't. Whereas people were saying that with Mahomes and I don't think that his arm strength is why he can do it. I think it's because, like I've mentioned, his his base is always so free and detached from his upper body um in such a way that makes him just so fluid that it never restricts what he's doing whereas like you mentioned josh's is pretty much it's always a really wide base and his front foot is always like way too narrow to where he needs to be so yeah so the topic of like arm strength i guess what generates arm strength and what and at i guess at three different levels like how do i rip 
the 45 yarder that he threw that Mahomes threw at the end of the Super Bowl? How do I rip that? How do I rip, you know, a 15 yard dig route? And then how do I rip like a three step slant on third and two? Like those are three different types of arm strings and, yeah. and three different types of throws. I guess where does the power and the velocity and the force, where does that come from for all three types of those throws? Is it the same? Is it different? It actually, it, it does depend on the throw and it also kind of depends on the quarterback. Cause like you'll watch a guy like um, Cam Newton, Cam Newton, for example, like all of his throwing power is in his back leg and his hip. Right. He around. like, he, when Cam rocks it, yes. he like leans back and exactly. just like uncorks the thing. Exactly, dude. It's like, uh, I don't know, like a catapult or something like he's like clearly putting back all of that power onto his back leg and just shooting it out of there. Because like when you watch him throw, he's not really like fully stepping into it the way that, you know, Tom Brady is. And Tom Brady is actually a good example of a different kind of where you're drawing your arm strength from. Like Brady's is very much he's stepping forward and he's flowing all of that power through his entire body. Whereas Cam Newton's pretty much stacking it on his back leg and just shooting it out. Is that is Cam... When Cam does that, is that would you teach that? Probably not. But it I, that's the thing about mechanics too is that I think we get too caught up in in teaching a certain way to do it rather than teaching a way that works for what this guy is already doing. And so I think that's actually that's the most important part. I think and actually is why you know you kind of mentioned baseball earlier, which I think is why a lot of quarterbacks I like when they're infielders. Um, Anthony Gordon this week mentioned that he was an infielder, and it's because when you're you know picking up a ground ball and throwing to first base, like your feet, you're not throwing with your feet at all. You're yeah, jumping, you're and it's it's back. all upper body. And so I think when guys learn to do that, the you know traditional way of mechanics kind of just falls to the wayside, and you get a little bit more freedom to just like adapt to however it is that you want to throw do you feel like when you're watching a quarterback you can be you can say that quarterback is smooth even if his 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 mechanics are incorrect in some respect and that it works just because he's not too busy and because he's found something that at least is repeatable yeah I, actually that is the like perfect smooth word. but incorrect is sort of the way that i think about this sometimes. i think repeatable is is probably the best word because like richard mentioned like would you teach what cam newton does probably not ever but for him, it is it's not a gimmick the way that he's throwing. It's, yeah, he can do that forty five right, times. He like can, that is him. Exactly. Like you can do that all the time and it's for him it's no issue. And so I think actually that's probably the best way to teach mechanics is find something that, you know, this kid can do repeatably. And if that's not whatever the textbook is, well then too bad. You need to figure it out. And that's your job as a coach. Yeah. Sure. Makes sense. I uh I think it's interesting when you get to like different arm angles like you know keep talking about Mahomes but like Kyler like Kyler's arm angles and just like Mahomes is they're so interesting and Kyler play, and I actually wrote the story on Kyler's mechanics and how his baseball kind of background informs his entire game but mechanics in general um when he throws like when he throws a screen when he throws a screen he literally looks like he is turning a double play like it it is something that looks it's the exact same thing. And that's why I think like baseball players particularly are very interesting. But uh, like the classical thing that I think I and, you know, some of this stuff I have had to unlearn about how I watch quarterbacks, but the whole like stepping into the throw like Aaron Rodgers does not step into throws like they like it's Kyler not Murray does not step into throws. Exactly. Like they literally almost hop off one leg mm-hmm. to really, really spin. Right. There's the no crow hop in an NFL throw 
almost never. Right, right, right. right. And that's that's what I, you know, Aaron Rodgers is another great example of like, I, I do think a lot of the best quarterbacks, and even if you look at somebody like, I think Ben Roethlisberger is a good example. If you look at him early in his career, he was a lot more of, you know, quote, standard mechanics or whatever, but he's learned this way to where, like a lot of the, I think the great quarterbacks who are at least semi-mobile, um, they learn to just, your lower body almost just detaches from your upper body and you get this complete freedom to where so long as you have the core strength to do it and I think that's that's like the important part is like if you can suspend yourself in the air for a second and you have the complete core strength to just rip around and get to this same release point you know this repeatable release point that's all that matters and like to me how you arrive there doesn't really matter so long as you can do it you you can tell me if I'm like wrong about this but when we talk about like NFL arm strength like a way that I describe it is like like a threshold and then after you get across the threshold a spectrum like when you get across the threshold to NFL arm strength whatever that is okay you're part of the club but then with that club has a whole spectrum of guys who can make the throws quote-unquote um you know we talk about 60-yard throws we talk about four-yard throws whatever like the ball like you are generating more throwing strength or whatever when you get across that threshold but it doesn't matter in a sense like once you're over the threshold congratulations you can be an NFL quarterback from an arm strength perspective is that right am I ridiculous no I think you're right on point so like let's let's do it like a threshold in a spectrum let's just say that 50 out of 100 is the threshold like that's it to me like 50 to 95 the different types of throws that are available to your offense are pretty marginal like there's going to be some you know those 90-ish guys that can probably do more than a say Andy Dalton but like it's not necessarily like breaking anything in your offense it's not anything too crazy whereas you get into that top you know three four five percent of Russell Wilson Aaron Rodgers Patrick Mahomes and it's very clear that there's a level of arm strength that it's like okay they can break the game and a lot of that is actually out of the pocket and I think that's huge is like while someone like Alex Smith could make plays out of the pocket, he's never going to do those 40-yard bombs outside the pocket rolling away from his throwing arm the way that Russell Wilson can because it's just you just don't have that kind of strength and not very many guys do. Are you are we seeing quarterbacks like and you know maybe it's a byproduct of quarterback camps and specialized training or whatever but are you seeing guys now, now look, you go back and you look at like Dan Marino, like Dan Marino was 25 years too late because that dude absolutely, I mean, it's incredible. It looks like Mahomes or Rod, like whatever you want to call it. Um, but are you seeing more guys, I think, that are from an arm strength perspective, just pure arm strength, ready to rock on Sundays? Now, I know like processing and all that kind of stuff, that's what separates but from just like an arm strength perspective, are there? Do you think there are more college quarterbacks now that are ready to go? Everything else being equal, even though we understand it's not. Yes and no. I think from just like a raw arm talent, like if you're just asking a guy to throw just like a you know twenty yard dig, I think it's probably about the same as it's ever been. I think the difference is that guys in in nowadays, like you know where you have a bunch of spread offenses, mobile, you're rolling out a ton. I think guys have gotten a lot better about harnessing that arm strength from just random platforms, um, which is like how I've talked about like guys like Watson and Mahomes kind of they're becoming the new norm. Is that whereas I think maybe 25 years ago, 
you probably weren't getting these guys who are as comfortable making those throws and keeping all of your arm strength from these weird platforms where I think, you know, now with all, a lot of these guys coming up, like that's just the reality that you live in. Like there's no, you have to do it or you just can't play because too many of these offenses are moving fast enough or defenses are getting too good at forcing you out of the pocket that if you can't do it, chances are like you're just, you better be really, really damn good at everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here at the 2020 NFL Combine while we record this. Is there anyone in this draft class beyond the obvious two, Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, who strikes you as having that kind of clearance of that base bar? Um, in terms of like having your arm strength from like weird platforms and yeah. stuff, I actually think, even though I think Jordan Love is a questionable quarterback in a lot of other areas yeah i do think that just because this is where like the patrick mahomes comparison is obviously like absurd for him but if you just boil down maybe 10 of his throws where he's doing some weird stuff outside the pocket um and just making some miraculous throw like it actually does look a lot like that because he just has that same kind of freedom in his upper body that just lets him get away with, you know, falling back when he's already 10, beyond, 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and hitting a 40-yard seam ball. Like, there's no way he should be able to do that, but he just has that kind of control and that type of, you know, 90, 95, you know, level arm strength. Sure. And is that is that the genesis? I mean, so you told us at lunch yesterday, mm-hmm. we're sitting somewhere here in Indianapolis, good burger place, and you're like, Jordan Love, I'm like, you know, what, why is Jordan Love on the TV right now? And you said he might be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. And Richard and I were like, what? Which NFL draft? Which NFL? <laughs> we were like, Different I mean, NFL draft. This, this was a guy who was like quite literally the second best quarterback named Jay Love in the Mountain West last year. Jordan Love um, of Utah State, by the way. Yes, Jordan Love of Utah State, uh, not Josh Love of San Jose State, um, who I think statistically certainly had a better year. So anyway, what is it? Can we can we bring up the Jordan Love conversation now? Do you want to have it right now? No, we, like, we'll get to it, get to it. But uh, yeah, ask But I'm, I'm, I'm extremely curious what... Just can you give me like the 20 second explanation? This is a college football podcast. People are going to be very confused about, it's, about why this is happening. It's literally just like I mentioned, like he can make those weird throws like you can't teach the way that he can throw outside the pocket sometimes or from those, you know, cluttered platforms. You can't teach that. And if you get a quarterback coach that is confident enough in their abilities, they'll say, I can teach him how to read, you know, dagger. Yeah, I can figure that stuff out. I can't teach him that, so I'll take him. Yeah, and that's kind of how that boils down to. I and that's how that's how we like talk ourselves into guys. Uh, okay, yeah, let's do it. I do. We'll, we'll go. We'll kind of go one through ten a little bit later, but I do want to ask about Tua because I like. I would be, if I'm the Dolphins at five, I would be very worried about taking Tua because of. What I feel, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, you may have to do with him as a player. I think with two ankles that aren't great and a hip, the hip injury that he had, like how are how are you not having to basically rebuild his throwing motion from the ground up when he gets into camp, when you draft him? Exactly. Like he's he's almost certainly going to have because like this isn't a minor hip injury. And like the reports keep saying like he's on track, but it's like, okay, on track for how bad oh, of an injury. Tra- yeah. It like, this is such a bad injury that like, cool, it's good that he's on track and that's fine. But it's still a, like a pretty severe injury that, like you said, he's probably going to, at least to some degree, have to relearn where he's drawing his power from or how he's finishing. So is that, the, I think that a lot of people think about a hip in injury and you say, 
that might take away from his mobility a bit. But of course, you might counter that two is not really a running quarterback per se. Yeah, I don't give a damn about mobility. So it's not the mobility. It's that the hip will, if it's not good, it's going to hurt his ability to drop power. I think it's a little bit of both because at least for the like the power and stuff, I don't think his arm is that good. Like I think it's at the threshold that we mentioned. Yeah, he's over 50. Uh, Yeah, he's over the 50 mark or whatever. I'm not that worried about him in, in that respect. Um, and I think even if he loses 5%-ish of his arm strength, he's still probably fine. I think he'll be okay in that regard. I do actually think the mobility is interesting because I don't think he handles pressure very well at all. And the only instances in which he does is when he actually slips a tackle in the pocket and then bails and kind of gets himself free of that that clutter. And he can actually you know, have more of a free-throwing platform. And I think if he loses some of his mobility... He's not going to be able to do that. And, you know, he's not a running quarterback. That's not really his thing. He's more of a, if he's out of the pocket, he's still looking to throw. But I think if you take some of that away from him and then all of his pressure snaps start being in the pocket, I think I think he's really not going to have a good time. How long does it take you to feel like you know what a quarterback's mechanics are or aren't or whatever? How long does it, how many, how much tape do you have to grind in in order for you to say, I think I know what that guy can do physically. I would say four or five games because it kind of depends. Like maybe you, the first two games you watch, you know, he only gets pressured five times each of those games. And, and so maybe you know, four of them are like not speeding up or anything. Like yeah. That. And like maybe in, you know, half of those plays, you don't even it's like maybe he just throws it away. It's like, OK, well, I can't learn anything from this in terms of like his mental process. Maybe I can learn something. But in terms of physically what he can do. Who's to say? So I think after about four or five games, you've seen enough of every situation of every down and distance, how he's handling that, how he's handling, you know, hurry up stuff, um, how he's handling different kinds of throws. Um, If he can throw late in the down, I think that's big, too. And so after about four or five games, you've seen enough of all of these different samples that you have a pretty good you know, baseline of what he's capable of. Do you have something? Nope. No, my bad. So I think what, how do quarterbacks, how do you see quarterbacks change and evolve? Like, can a quarterback really and truly change and rebuild? The, and this is a little bit to a Tua question, but a little bit, not as much Tua, but a guy, if, if you see a flaw in mechanics, like of a guy coming to the NFL, can you really teach that out of him? Or is he... He is what he is to some extent. I think largely they are what they are, but also it does matter like how severe um, or how unteachable like their particular mechanical quirk is like. What's what's a flaw where you're like, no, can't take him in a, in, a, in an accomplished college quarterback draft eligible quarterback that we would talk about a top 10 quarterback prospect that you would look at. What is something you see or a couple things you see? You're like, whoo. Can't take him. Long throwing motion. It's impossible to fix. You can't do it. Like it's, and it's actually, I mean that in like a time sense because you can actually have guys who like dip the ball fairly low and behind themselves. Like a loop throwing motion where they essentially kind of bring it behind themselves before they. You got to go through a whole shot put to throw. Yeah, like Russell Wilson dips the ball behind him pretty far. It's just that it's happening so fast because he's so strong that the you know length of of what it looks like visually doesn't matter because it's but happening ti- as fast because the time it's the is- timing exactly and because a lot of the the issue with these guys who have really long throwing motions is that you know when you're throwing 
you know, just in general, like all of that motion, you know, your full body motion, that's like a quarter of a second. Like it's all so fast. And so if you have this super long throwing motion, you're going to have a lot of instances where your entire body has come around already and the your arm is not all the way ready to push the ball out. And so the ball ends up behind and you can't control it as well. You lose your power. That so kind, that I could envision stuff. two big problems with the long throwing motion, but I'm curious which of them is the more severe problem. One, you could get sacked if you're if you're under pressure. You know, obviously it takes longer to get the ball out. I think anybody who's played in Madden and tried to uncork a deep throw and they've held down B too long and then been sacked might get that. <laughs> um, but I'm also wondering, you know, does you... I'm curious from like a timing standpoint with your receiver if that becomes an issue or if you can just compensate it because you know that your throwing motion is long and you know you you might need to get started a little bit sooner before that receiver comes out of a break. I'm curious if if those how those both play in. I, I actually think it's not even so much the timing of the receiver and a route. I mean, I do think if you're good and have a long-ish throwing motion, you do learn to like figure it out like you do learn that you might have to anticipate slightly sooner and stuff like that but I actually think it's just that you know if the ball is not coming out in one swift motion with the rest of your body it's so hard to control it because and you could see like you can tell do you, yeah. are there guys think about some guys or do you have any guys off the top of your head in the last few years of draft class guys where you're like that thing is long it's really long and you can't get it back. family podcast richard <laughs> <laughs> i mean the classic example is always tebow but he's yeah. like super extreme like that's like really really bad um i think a recent example even though he's not like a major prospect is cole mcdonald like cole mcdonald is a javelin thrower and hawaii actually cole mcdonald yes hawaii's cole mcdonald another one too is actually um Colin Kaepernick was kind of a javelin thrower like that. And that's kind of like how I, I like to put it. It was yeah. those super long throwers is that it looks like they're almost trying to throw a javelin. And Kaepernick, I think, was one of the rare guys that like his arm was so good that it kind of just worked anyway. Um, but I also think he kind of understood, you know, how to work around it and stuff like that. Are there any other quarterbacks? I'm curious, like in the last couple of years in the NFL, because you mentioned, you know, obviously Colin Kaepernick. Um Tim Tebow didn't work out for football reasons. Uh, it seems, though we obviously root for our BVP award winner, Cole McDonald, <laughs> that he you know, may not stick in the NFL. Um, are there any quarterbacks who have come in the last few years who you even still have a, like a cursory level of optimism about in spite of something like long-throwing motion? I really can't think of that many, like any guys that sure. are, it are good. It, it yeah. really is. Like I do think a lot of other mechanical quirks, you can either – make up for them elsewhere or what kind are, of unlearn them. But what are some things just, you can cheat? What are some things you can kind of get over? Um, I think actually like, so Carson Wentz was actually a really like interesting learning point for me. Cause if you watch Carson Wentz, like one thing I hate with quarterbacks is like, or I used to hate more than I do now is if their feet was just stuck in the mud, like all yeah. the time, like it, it was kind of uh, my friend, justice Mosqueda kind of likes to say it like, he couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. Like his <laughs> eyes would maybe be where they needed yeah. to be, but his feet were just like, that's where they were. They were in cement. And so um, I kind of thought that was like a death note for him. Um, and I didn't appreciate some of the other things that he was doing to overcome that in terms of what I've mentioned now with like core strength. And he always does a good job of getting out the same release point. Um, and so I thought that was going to be rough for him. And then even in the NFL, he's actually like slightly improved that enough to where he's still probably on the below average, you know, on the scale of like how, you know, smooth his footwork is, but he's improved it enough to where it's actually not as big as an issue as I thought. 
Um, and another thing that you can't necessarily cheat, but I think you can get better at is like your weight transfer. Okay. Cause like, you know, we mentioned Cam Newton, like he doesn't actually transfer his weight forward, but he's kind of rare in that sense. Whereas like, I think Tannehill is a good example of early on. He just could not like, you know, in your natural throwing motion, you pull everything back and then you bring it forward. He couldn't like bring his whole body forward. He was just kind of slinging the ball out from where he was at and it really hurt his deep ball. And that's why his deep ball was so bad for so long. Um, he's kind of slightly gotten a little bit better at it, enough to where he's like competent now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You mentioned earlier on this podcast that there are some quarterbacks who are successful like Rodgers and Mahomes in that their upper body is almost untethered from their lower body and they're just doing it with core strength. For those quarterbacks who have that level of arm strength, what is the cost of sloppy footwork? Or is there none because their arms are just too good? Um, I mean, honestly, I don't, it's like, I really don't think like the hit is like, obviously like they're not getting 100% of their arm strength when they do that. Most of the time they're probably getting closer to 90, but yeah, like if you're comfortably over the threshold, it doesn't matter that you're not getting all of your arm strength because you're going to be at whatever the base threshold is, no matter what. And if you're one of those guys in that 50 to 95 range and you're not one of the absolute elite throwers, then what are the consequences if your footwork is sloppy? It can be tougher, but it also depends because I think Deshaun Watson is a guy that like, he's probably around the 70 range, comfortably over the threshold, not great. You can still make every single throw with him. But I think when he's moving, he actually does such a good job of like ridiculous core strength, even if his pure arm strength isn't great, that he always can get, he can pretty much maximize whatever his base arm strength is no matter the platform, because I think his core strength is just so insane that it doesn't really matter if he has his feet with him or not. And we, what, what makes a guy potentially like an easy or a hard eval for you from a mechanics perspective? Like, or like, I know you want to get through four or five games, but are there some guys you turn on, you watch 10 throws and you're like, holy shit, like that's it. It's there. I'm going to watch to do due diligence, but it's there. Um, versus a guy where you're like, man, I, I don't know what I really think about this guy. I might have to watch 10 games. I might, I might have to watch a whole regular season. Usually, that's actually like, I think this is like it's such a reductive thing to say, but like good quarterbacks have good mechanics. And like, that's such a dumb, like, yeah, of like, course they yes, do. Of course, yeah. But like Joe Burrow is a great example. Like you just watch him throw and to me, he's perfect in terms of mechanics like he always is getting the ball out of the same release point his hips are so smooth and like so untethered from his from his lower body and it's like maybe in 2018 we couldn't tell as much because like the offense was just awful yes but you watch him more in 2019 and like pretty quickly you're like okay he like throwing the football is not something he thinks about it just happens yeah whereas um i don't know you have a guy like honestly i don't think Tua's mechanics are like great and you have a guy like him where it's like his mechanics aren't bad, I think, but you kind of have to see a lot more situations for to take like a full scope of like, okay, where is he fine? Where is he not? And so I think if it doesn't immediately pop off the screen, it does take half a season or so, like you said. 
The numbers would say that the answer to this question is no, and anyone who watched the structure of LSU's offense would say that that's certainly different. But was Joe Burrow mechanically in 2018 the same as Joe Burrow mechanically in 2019? Actually, no, because I believe he'd worked with Tom House over, okay. you know, this from the Manning's. I think he worked with he for sure worked with Tom Brady at certain points. Yeah. I know he's worked with like Joe Flacco. Um, who was like just a complete statue when he was early on. And he got a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. So credit to Tom House for that one. Um, I think House has maybe even worked with Drew Brees, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, and so I think Burrow's mechanics were fine in 2018, but they were just not quite as sharp as they were now. He was a little bit more of um, just a little bit ganglier, kind of like those... Um, those tubes outside of like the the like a car sale yeah yeah. like he was a little bit uh, like that yeah inflatable yeah whatever it's called yeah like everything wasn't quite as sharp as it needed to be and you could tell in 2019 like he had the general base to do things correctly in 2018 and then in 2019 i think he got a little bit stronger and a little bit sharper and it just it all clicked and it was like okay he like this is it how i'll save i'll save the bro questions later we'll talk bro a little bit later um but I, I do want to, I guess maybe we can just move on to like defenses and how quarterbacks kind of like operate in the defense or excuse me, in offense. Wow, that's a terrible question, Richard. Um, but how quarterbacks operate in the system, how do you then see that and and fold that into your evaluation process? Because sometimes we do know what they're trying to do especially if if we have continuity of a system or a scheme or a coach that's been there for a long time um but what happens when we don't what happens when you don't know exactly what he's trying to do or you don't know his progression or whatever because a lot of people look at the tv and they're like oh like he doesn't go through progression but it's like well maybe he's not being asked to go through progression maybe he is asked to just one two throw no i think that's a good point and actually another interesting thing is like we as humans want to think that every play matters for like learning about these guys. They don't like probably like 30% of what these guys are doing are going to be somewhat translatable to the NFL. And I think that's the key is like, but even, even in the college football that we have now, that has never looked closer than the program, right? You're throwing out seven of every 10 throws. And I know that's, it's definitely like an exaggeration, but I think there are like a fair amount of throws, whether that's because, um, the hashes are way different. I think that's a big thing that like we just don't properly because like that's the one thing. That's one funny thing too is we always what happens a lot in in like draft Twitter or whatever is we'll see a guy throw from the left hash in college to the right to side the line. right side and that, we're like it's an absurd throw. It's ridiculous. And so sometimes when a guy can't do it in college, we're like, wow, he doesn't have the arm strength because like and may- Joe Burrow. That is one knock yeah. on Joe Burrow. But like that's the thing is like that hash mark doesn't exist in yeah, the NFL. Like it's not throw real. That throw. that throw is not like real. And so you have to like kind of if you're like looking at purely just sideline throws, like for a guy like Mayfield or Bro, whose arms are like, eh, I think you kind of have to actually look at throws that are closer to the middle of the hash marks because that's what it's like in the NFL. Like they the NFL doesn't really operate on left and right hash marks the way that the college game does. It's like everything is pretty much Roughly middle of the, the field. field yeah. And so I think that's does like it, pretty Does important. it cut the other way? And if you have a Trevor Lawrence, you can practically stand on one sideline and throw a bullet to the other sideline. Does that then like make you swoon or are you just like, nope, doesn't matter? Um, I, I mean, it does make you swoon. Like it's like, wow, but I mean, it's, it's also, pretty. it's pretty, but it's also one of those things that I've kind of 
I think when I was first starting to watch quarterbacks a lot, that was like the one thing I was like, wow, he's throwing left hash to right sideline. That's insane. But like the more I've watched, it's like that is a cool throw and that he can do it is obviously not a knock like duh. But it's also like that throw just doesn't it's not real because the window. So if you're throwing like a a 16 yard corner from like, say you snap the ball on the left uh, hash and you're throwing a 16 yard corner to the right sideline. That window is different than it would be if you're snapping the ball in the middle of the like the in the middle of the hashes like that window is just fundamentally different because of the way that um, the cornerback can use the sideline to his advantage. Because if you're doing it, you know, where he has the cornerback has to cover all that field like he's on an island. He can't use the sideline at all because there's, you know, a valley between where that route breaks and where the sideline actually is. Whereas in the NFL, like it's a pretty like tight throw like the cornerback can actually kind of press against the sideline and stuff like that and so I think you know picking out those throws that actually would work in a pro game or like you would see in a pro game I think is is pretty important when you when you're throwing stuff out we're talking about throwing the baby out with the bathwater um (laughs) are are you also throwing out stuff where you're like all right he's just never going to be that wide open in the NFL like I mean that that stuff the average viewer like you can tell like if a guy is just insanely wide open, and I'm not talking about running 30 yards unencumbered because the DB fell down. I mean, let's say you have a wide receiver that does like a speed out. If you've got a wide receiver that does a speed out or a pivot route where they come inside and then break back outside and they're like the DB is trailing them by like four yards and not gaining not closing the distance that is not going to happen in the nfl their dbs are just too good is that something that you are just throwing out to for the most part it's like it's one of those things where it's like you better not be missing that throw and if you're missing it like okay you're not a very good quarterback and so it's kind of just one of those things it's like okay you better be doing it if you can great like you kind of do throw out those those plays because they just in terms of like what you're going to look for like what is it what is it that separates a good college quarterback from a guy who's going to be good in the pros? It's the difference of them being to hit those like tighter window stuff that I think is is really important. And some guys can do that with just raw arm strength. If you're Josh Allen or with Burrow, you know, his arm isn't very good, but he has such a ridiculous touch that he can kind of make those windows work. What I, I guess. And look, maybe we're bouncing back to mechanics, though. But we talk about we I think we talked a lot about strength. What creates touch? Like what creates some of that feather kind of like dropping it in between a linebacker and a safety type stuff? I think a lot of it is I've mentioned core strength a trillion times, but I think it comes down to that a lot because I think the way that you can control the ball is almost like one to one with how strain, like how much strain are you putting on your body to get that level of arm strength? Because like, Joe Burrow's arm strength is not that good, but you can also tell that the way he throws, it's very easy for him. Like he's not stressing himself to do that, really. Who it, do you have somebody in mind that like stresses where you're like, wow, you're putting every iota of it behind the ball? Jake Fromm. Jake Unfortunately. Fromm. Like, cause like I think Jake Fromm is a genius, but it clearly takes all of what Jake Fromm has in him to make a lot of those throws. And that's why I think he actually his touch can be kind of a hit or miss because if you're putting all of your effort into just making sure you get 100% of your arm strength, chances are you can't, you know, get that perfect arc on the ball because it's just not, you're trying to do too many things at one time. So when you're, you know, when you're dropping a throw 
like I said, a seam ball in between linebacker and the safety, and it looks easy. That's kind of one of the things where you're like, man, that looks smooth. That looks easy. It looks like it's supposed to look. That's one of the things where, like, oh, he's not straining to make that throw. Absolutely, yeah. It's like, and the I, it usually looks like they're doubling over, like, their entire body like almost like they're like kind of throwing up or something like if a guy is straining that much to throw it looks like he's just like almost throwing out his back trying to get the ball out whereas like you can tell with Burrow I think most of the time like it the ball just kind of slides out of his hand and that's it like he's not really like killing himself to get this ball out and so I think that's why he can control it honestly better than I think any quarterback I can remember I started doing this in 2013 so do not count luck in this I'm not (laughs) saying he's better than luck but at least in Andrew that, Luck, he's talking about Andrew Luck, not yeah. literal Luck. Um, in that time span, I think he's probably the best I've ever seen at just like that kind so, of like so Drew Brees level good, touch. Good is what you're saying. I nice, so. nice. I th- I, he's nice, okay. nice. I think so. Yeah, I, I can believe it. I mean, we we've seen it uh, at a very high level of play, but absolutely, yeah, that's some high praise. What uh, we talk about ball placement, like what? How do you factor in ball placement and and? what that that is where we talk about a repeatable skill like ball placement is repeatable more or less whether a db's in your kitchen or not right absolutely and like so generally like your quote-unquote good ball placement is like if your guy is somewhat open um and you could have a db like slightly behind him but if it's reasonable for you to throw like a half foot in front of him like right at chest level, you obviously want to do that every single time. But I think what actually most of the time separates even just good prospects from great prospects is the ability to understand like, okay, this receiver that I want to throw to is the only option I can throw to before I get slammed by a pass rusher. So how do I make this throw work even though this guy is covered? And I think a lot of that is understanding like, okay, and that's why you, you get a lot of throws where like maybe a, a receiver has to make like a ridiculous back shoulder catch or he has to dive to the ground under a safety. And like that can look like a bad throw. But then if you rewind the tape for a second and be like, OK, where else could the quarterback have put this? And if the answer is nowhere, that's a good ball because you're that's one of those plays where it's like it had a 30 percent chance of succeeding it was already probably right. not gonna it work. was already probably and you, yeah. and you gave it that full 30 percent because you understood like okay this is the only spot it can go this is how i'm gonna figure it out and i think that's actually why people probably thought deshaun watson from clemson was less accurate than he actually was because i think he was unbelievable at understanding like okay i have to throw under the safety so i'm gonna throw at my guy's knees because He's going to be able to react and see that and get down there first before the safety can and stuff like that. You you mentioned back shoulders. I think back shoulders are really interesting because but like the back shoulder is not like a back shoulder route. Like the back shoulder is an adjustment that a quarterback makes with a receiver in sync in the middle of a route to, to make a throw and break it off and beat tight coverage. Like that's what that actually is. And I love that you like brought back shoulders all, uh, up. I, I think that's just really interesting. How, so I, I guess how do you – one of the things that I'm most interested about when you look at a quarterback holistically and an offense holistically, how do you assess an offense and how do you assess how a quarterback operates within an offense? And we'll get where I want to go with this in a second, but I do want to hear what you have to say on that. So I think a general baseline you can take, like whether or not, because like when you first start watching a quarterback, you obviously don't fully understand their offense yet. And after five or six games, you start seeing a lot of the same concepts and it's kind of easier to piece together like, what he's supposed to be doing so I think a good thing you can do at least at the start is like okay is he 
like pausing on anything for too long when it doesn't seem like he shouldn't be? Or is it he at least like zipping through like one, two, three and just ball us out? And then I think after a few games, you can kind of start to decide for yourself. You you start seeing those concepts more. You can be like, OK, even though this ball is coming out, it's not the right read. But you kind of learn to do that eventually. So I think it's big for quarterbacks to understand, like if they're taking too long on their read, chances are whether you fully understand what that read is or not he's going to have some issues. And that's why we've mentioned Jordan Love from Utah State before. I think that's his issue is he has a lot of plays where he just, it kind of seems like he's taking an extra second to think about it. And in the NFL, that's not there. That, yeah. th- that doesn't exist. The game's over. Exactly. I, uh, you talk about like being late a lot when you, when you kind of criticize and parse quarterbacks. You, you talk about this guy's late, that guy's late. What does that mean? So in for most passing concepts, it kind of depends. If you're running like a, a deep over route, you know, the nature of that route is you're literally just running straight across the field. So like timing doesn't matter as much. Um, but if you're running like, you know, a 15 yard dig route, chances are like that ball needs to come out as soon as the guy is turning, because chances are either that cornerback is going to make a speed turn and be able to close back in on it, you know, in the NFL, of course, or a safety is going to be able to see it come down and take your guy's head off. So, a like, dig route being straight up the field and at 15 or 18 yards or whatever, foot playing in the ground. And let's say if it's a dig inside and he's on the right side, foot in the ground and he comes back left. That's just it, what a dig is. Exactly. Exactly. And so, if you're, if you're throwing that a half second late, either a line and, and late is late to you is. The foot's in the ground and he hasn't, or the, the foot's in the ground and he's already come inside. That now if, it's late. Right. If the receiver is already turning, if like if the receiver is already starting to come into the field, like across, that ball's late. Yeah. Like the, the quarterback should be starting his motion about the same time that that guy is planting his foot to come inside. Like that all should be happening at a, about the same time. And some guys have a little bit more leeway with arm strength, obviously, because you can make up that lost time in the pocket. But um, chances are, I think if you're late, you're you're going to have problems because defenders are going to be able to make up that gap, especially in the NFL, whether that's the corner coming back, you know, to to react to that. Or like I said, a safety or a lot of these NFL linebackers are good at, you know, flowing up and, and catching these digs like that. So a offenses, offenses are not all built the same. And I think that. When on this podcast this year a lot, we have talked ad nauseum about Georgia, and I've talked about Georgia's offense and why it looks the way it looks. But when you assess Jake Fromm, you you I think it was a tweet. You said something really interesting. You were like his limitations physically hindered the offense, the the structure and the architecture of the offense around him. And I want you to kind of explain that a little bit because I thought it was really cool. Yeah. So. I think physically, like his issue is obviously arm strength. And so when you have a guy who is limited with arm strength, like you never get to make up that gap of being late in your read. Like it's just, it doesn't exist. And so those routes, like a, like the digs that we mentioned, or if you're throwing like a 16 yard corner, like those throws have to be so perfectly on time and perfectly placed that the mar- like the margin of error is so small and if physically you don't have any kind of arm strength that can maybe make up one of those gaps somewhere you almost have to take that out of your offense and i think we saw that with georgia this year is like and the that, offense kind of became just rpos and stuff right and and when you watch georgia it's it's that and there there are some games the south carolina game is something that sticks in my head 
he's not throwing across the middle of the field at all. It's like they cut the middle of the, they cut the field into thirds and the middle third was out of the offense. It was only, I was considering it a low percentage throw because it's basically from the numbers over. Now you bring the sideline into play. You help the defense out. I was wondering why is it that this is how Georgia structured its offense? But, you know, you're saying it's, it's Georgia almost planning around Jake Fromm's limitations. And, and I do think, Part of it, too, is that Fromm is self-aware of what he's not capable of. And it's obviously a problem that he's not capable of making these kinds of things. I think he's so smart. Like, 10 years from now, he's going to be NFL head coach, whatever. Um, and I think he's very understanding of his limitations. And he will know, like, I, I even, I think, have tweeted out maybe a handful of instances where he's looking at a dig route and he is seeing it on time. And he is, like, pulling his arm back right when the when the guy is about to break over the middle, but he'll just like pull it down because he knows he doesn't have the arm strength unless that guy is like wide the hell open. Yeah. And if the, in that case, if he's not, even if he's like reasonably open for another quarterback for from, he's just not because like the arm strength to, to get it there just isn't there because that extra, you know, quarter of a second that that ball is flying through the air. That's enough for a quarterback to get in there and, and disrupt it. How, what offenses do you think are, what offenses do you think are especially translatable to today's NFL offenses are not all the same, even though the college game has never looked more like the NFL game and vice versa. There are still triple option being the main, thing. there <laughs> yeah. are still some things, some offenses that you look at and you're like, that's not necessarily translatable to the NFL. You're not going to be running that in the NFL. Right. I, I actually think um, that's the interesting thing is like uh, the air raid is obviously the example that people will be like, well, that's not translatable. But if you really look at it, like a lot of, the air raid offense is just like either one, any standard NFL offense is using some of those concepts to some degree. I think what makes the air raid interesting is that so like stick and four verts are like huge concepts for them. They'll run that 50 times a game. The difference is that in the NFL offense, you're going to run that maybe three, four times a game. Yeah. And so you're I think that's the problem with the air raid is not so much that they're not doing NFL things. It's that they're doing such a limited amount of them and they're just doing them a ton. So your exposure to a guy reading all these different concepts is kind of limited. So you're kind of having to... So you don't really know... You don't really know what he can do. Yeah, you're kind of filling in the gaps, like, just thinking, like, okay, if he can do this one thing, this other thing is kind of similar, so maybe he can do it. Um, Which actually where I think was where where, um, Patrick Mahomes was a little bit unique in that aspect is that if you watch their Texas Tech offenses with Cliff, it was a lot closer to an NFL passing offense. It looked a lot more like the Saints or something than it did... Um, you know, the standard Mike Leach, you know, so, we're just running stick a hundred times a game. This is the thing. And wait, hold on, explain stick real quick. Okay. So stick is, you can run it two or three men, but like generally you're going to see our, our people know mesh and our people know four verts, right? Stick. Is okay. So stick is, I'll just explain it as a three man concept. If you're in, you're going to have, you know, three receivers to one side, your inside guy is going to run what is like a little stick option where he can either run up and stick his foot in the ground at five yards or he can run like a little out route. And that's all depending on the leverage of the defender that's playing on him. Um, Basically, is the defender inside of him or outside of him? It, exactly. And if he's, if he's you know, if the defender's inside of him, then he can cut outside and he probably has that little bit of extra room. If he's playing outside or on him, you're probably just sticking your foot in the ground and, you know, trying to really box this guy out like a basketball game or something. Um, and you see like Jason Witten literally lived off of this concept in the NFL. Um, but then the, the next receiver over the guy in the middle will just kind of run like a little flat to this, like a speed out to kind of clear that area for if the stick route is running outside, he has room to operate. 
Um, and then on the the far outside, you know, your outside receiver is literally just running a vertical to like clear space for both of those guys. And he's releasing outside of the cornerback and just running up. Exactly. And you're just like booking it. You're re- chances like you're almost never throwing the vertical yeah. on it's a clear stick. out thing it's you're to get you're throwing the stick route the innermost guy you're like you're hitting him probably 75 percent of the time like he is who the, the 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 concept is designed for right okay i like that um go ahead alex i was just saying i like it too <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, and i like stick yeah good concept so uh, so like yeah when we when we don't see a lot of these concepts you see a guy who Okay, they can do those three concepts, but but what can't they do or what else can they do? I think is kind of what makes NFL evaluations very interesting. But you bring up Cliff's offense. What is Cliff's offense? And, and air raid, the non-Mike Leach air raid guys, the farther you get from the tree. Mike Leach is really the only coach still left. I know how mom's in the XFL too, but Mike Leach is really the only coach still left that is running this pure, distilled, uncut, a hundred percent air raid. The other guys now, Graham Harrell, I think is pretty close to that at USC, USC's offensive coordinator. Um, but when you get to cliff, I'm first of all, cliff runs the ball. That's one thing, but cliff also has this basically varied passing game. How have you seen cliff take what was happening at Texas tech and A&M to a lesser extent with Johnny, um, to the NFL with, with Kyler. Right. So I think at least with, you know, an offense like, uh, Mike Leach's, for example, like we'll just start with the purest. A lot of their stuff is like pretty base, and like that's why they that's actually why Mike Leach, I think, gives his quarterback so much autonomy at the line of scrimmage. It's like because they don't run that many plays, so you're banking on like a defense coming out a certain way, and it's like okay, we have this one play that we know check to it because it works against, yeah, them. we can check to it, and that's why they check out of runs. Like, well, that's actually why they don't even really call runs, all their runs are just checks. It's like okay, the box is like we'd be dumb not to run into this, and right, so in a sense of their. We come out, we show this look. The defense right. does not have seven or eight defenders in the box. Run it. The numbers work. Right. And so uh, the difference between that and like, you know, what Cliff is doing is like a lot of his vertical concepts won't just be like straightforward verticals. You know, they'll be doing a lot more interesting stuff where they're running maybe switch verts or they're running more true like mill stuff, which is. Um, oh, I like mill. Yeah. With your inside. You like, a, like a 20 ish yard dig. And then Steve Spurrier. Running, running exactly. Like post the, beyond that. Exactly. Yeah, it's the Spurrier yeah. special where you have a dig running under a. Uh, like a deep post and it's a quarters killer because that that safety comes down to play the digs and it's like well you basically have cover zero over at the top you know who was good at this in a shocking turn Eli Manning's New York Giants really oh yeah that's that's I think that's the Look reason that I'm familiar with that the NFL. <laughs> they, they scored a touchdown in a playoff game against the Packers some years ago probably the last of Eli's playoff games where that was identified as what they ran and it, it worked brilliantly like it was like they were just running routes on air you so got to have a quarterback willing to rip it. Yeah, I so, love Mills. So Cliff, you're seeing Cliff be more varied in his passing attack? I, I think that's the big difference is that you see a lot more um, variance. And I think you see a little bit more like true option routes where like they're giving autonomy post snap to the quarterback. Whereas I think that's not always the case with um, some of Leach's offenses where it's like they get a lot of autonomy to get into the right base play after the fact. But like Cliff's offenses will be like, you know, if this linebacker moves here, you do this, 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 like all this other stuff. So I think he actually has a lot more optionality in his offenses, um, both post-snap and both like pre-snap, just in terms of like having a lot of different passing concepts that he's actually looking to, which is why I said like his passing offenses, especially at Tech, like with Mahomes, who was obviously like a clear NFL super, well, became one, um, like that 
offense was so much more fuller than we've ever seen from like Mike Leach because he just had a quarterback who was actually capable of doing it. And I think that's the big difference is like the air raid is designed for the average man quarterback to look good where it's like when you have a guy who is clearly above that, you can get a little bit more creative like yeah. like Cliff has. Yeah. All right. We're, we're going to hot seat you real quick with the uh, 2020 draft class. Give me, I guess, your elevator pitch on each guy. Doesn't have to be especially long, but you can go a little bit deep if you want to. Um, we will start with Joe Burrow. All right. Joe Burrow is my comparison for him has kind of been like 2018 Andrew Luck, where he didn't quite have as much arm strength as he had before. His mentality was toned down a little bit to where he was a little bit more conservative, but you could clearly see the mobility was still there. Very smart pre-snap, aggressive enough, um, and just fantastic ball placement. So I think he can be that kind of quarterback. So we've got Joe Burrow to retire at the start of the 2021 season. You heard because it here first. Well, let's, you heard it here first because of the small, the small hands, hands on podcast standpoint. Everybody. Thank you, Derek. Let's hope we can skip that part of the uh, luck comparison. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tua. Tua is, I think Tua checks a lot of the box boxes at like a base level. Like he's accurate enough. He's mobile enough. I think he gets through his reads fairly well, even if I'm not like, I don't think he's like super genius like Drew Brees or anything like that. Um, I don't honestly, I don't even trust his processing as much as I did Haskins last year. Um, so I think he just like kind of hits the baseline at a lot of things. And I don't think he has like very many glaring holes. I've mentioned that he's not great under pressure, but like aside from that, it's like it's pretty easy to, I think, understand where you would build a game around him. Jordan Love. Uh, you have to do it. The appeal is that I guess if you have a situation where you don't have to play him year one and you get to sit him and hope that a lot of his issues were just that 2019 Utah State was just such a tornado of losing NFL players, uh, losing offensive linemen, losing their coach, all this other stuff that you can kind of remove him from that situation and and groom him a different way. That's really your hope because physically he's all there. I will quickly interject on the Jordan Love thing to say. I think that if he'd gotten better after 2018, I'd be more just as a college football person excited about this. The tornado of NFL losses, injuries, et cetera, notable. I think it's also notable that even when Utah State almost beat Michigan State at the start of 2018, he was not very good. He had no touchdowns, two picks, about seven yards per attempt. Uh, And also he wasn't great against like, you know, he was okay against Boise State in a big game at the end of the year there, but you know, he never really showed out against like power five competition and in the couple of opportunities he had. Definitely not against Wake Forest in twenty nineteen. This is your lightning round. I just had some Jordan Love things I wanted <laughs> yeah. to say. I La- love it. Last yeah. thing I'll add on Love is he probably should have thrown like six interceptions in that Michigan State game. He got away with a lot. Yeah. I because Alex brought it up, and I guess we're tanking the lightning round for a second. We'll come back to it. My fault. Per- production. When we get to when we talk about production, how translatable is it? Like what what do what do we do with production? Because an air raid guy is gonna have insane production as opposed to some guy from another scheme. To be honest, I think it's for the most part just like kind of like we mentioned with arm strength, like it's a threshold. Like don't be awful. Like if you can hit like this baseline level of good, then you're probably fine because um I do think you have to like slightly adjust it for air raid guys and not knock them too much. Like if they have really good numbers in air raid, then it's like, okay, they could probably do this in another college offense. But I do think you, you know, if I don't know, Dwayne Haskins versus like um, Anthony Gordon, if they both throw 45 touchdowns in a season, it's like, well, okay, what Haskins was doing 
with how much he was tasked with post-snap is probably a little bit more impressive to me. I love it. Uh, Justin Herbert. Herbert, Lighting around back on. Yeah, Her- Herbert is, I think, the wet dream for uh, just all the physical tool stuff. He's super tall. He's like 6'6", six, six, um, fantastic arm, really good athlete. Um, I mean, he could run like five, 600 yards a year if you wanted him to. I think he's that and kind of athlete. Oregon decided to do that in the Pac-12 championship game and the Rose Bowl, and it might have been the smartest decision Mario Cristobal made all season. I even talked to Throckmorton today um, during interviews, and he was like, yeah, that added a different dimension to our offense. Really glad he did it. Exactly. And I think the the biggest issue with Herbert is that there's nothing from like an understanding the game or processing standpoint that stands out positively. I do think kind of like Tua, he generally checks the boxes. He's not making like egregious mistakes. He gets through his progressions very, like at an okay pace, even though he's a little slow to me. So I think it, it, he's one of those guys where it's like the physical tools are there, but like you're really hoping that you can speed up his mental a little bit more. Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason is kind of in the same boat where I think he's a little bit more reckless um, than a guy like Justin Herbert. I think he's a little bit more willing to just kind of say screw it and kind of throw the ball. But he's got a lot of that same, um, you know, tall, super strong arm. Not quite as mobile, but I think plenty mobile for today's NFL. Um, And he's one of those guys that sometimes you see those moments of like he goes one to two and then comes back and hits a backside post versus cover one. And you're like, whoa. Like, that's some real, like, NFL, NFL stuff. But then he'll have a play where he just, like, stares straight at a linebacker and hits him in the chest. And you're like, okay, well, we need to get that out of you (laughs) because that's a problem. Uh, Do you have anything more on Jake Fromm? Um, No, just probably the smartest guy in the class, but it doesn't matter. I think he's a great quarterback, not a great player. It's a great fisherman, too. (laughs) Real bass fisherman. Yeah, the NCAA doesn't sponsor fishing, but there's some other fishing governing body for college sports and jake Fromm won a pretty big competition Uh, or or maybe he didn't win but he contended um yeah jake Fromm's serious he's very serious fisherman jalen hurts jalen hurts is is kind of tough because i think he's another one of those guys like i don't think he makes many okay i think the the best way to explain jalen hurts is that there's not really anything that he does that is going to actively sink your ship I think he actually takes care of the ball very well. His mobility gives his game a pretty high floor. I think his accuracy is not good, but it's better than probably some of the other backups in the NFL. It's just that there's really nothing that he does that like actually elevates your team. Like I, His accuracy is like okay, but it's not great. Um, he's not the super level athlete like Lamar Jackson where he just completely scares you. Um, and I don't think his mental processing is ever going to be anything that like really helps your offense i think he can keep the boat afloat ish but that that's probably about all you're gonna get i agree and i've been telling people that i think he can just be a better version of Taysom hill yeah absolutely. elite nfl quarterback Taysom hill <laughs> um i think he can be a better version of Taysom hill i think he can be a guy who you can bring in who can create a plus one in the run game who you can feel confident about doing that he gives your offense a change of pace um but i i i struggle with what jalen can do against particularly advanced competition. I think when Jalen played the Clemsons and Georgia the first time, um, I I don't know. I, I just didn't see it. I didn't see, like you said, that kind of like rising as the tide of competition rose. All right, Anthony Gordon, Washington State. 
So obviously, basically zero experience. He only played the one year or he only started the one year at Washington State, which I think is always kind of weird for guys that are redshirt seniors and don't start until that season. That's Gardner Minshew, though. Yeah, Jags, though, that always still gives me a little bit of pause. Um, but I will say I, he's um, a pretty accurate guy. I think he's one of those guys I've mentioned earlier, like he's a baseball guy. So his throwing motion and like his upper body mechanics are really smooth, really clean. And I think that's something that's so repeatable. You can kind of work with that. His work in the pocket is a little bit questionable. His feet are kind of all over the place and his mental stuff is a little up and down. Um, he's had some really rough games. So I think maybe with more experience that smooths over, but um, he's at least one of the more interesting day three guys, I think. Cole McDonald, Hawaii. His arm is awesome. He's a pretty decent athlete. The dreads were tight, but they're not there anymore. <laughs> that, and that's all. We have nothing negative yeah. to say. We have nothing negative to say about Cole McDonald. <laughs> Um, okay, Bryce Perkins, Virginia, who I, not going to lie, did not realize was in this class. Charles McDonald is beating down the door. You can go get him. I'll um, go get him. Yeah. Yeah, Perkins is not terribly interesting to me. I think he's actually a guy that you probably bring in for camp and, and hope that the accuracy translates enough. I think he's one of those guys that, one, he can be a little bit mentally slow, and also I think his mechanics are questionable and a pretty slow. So when you put both of those things together, you end up late a lot. And so I think, you know, I think he's going to have a lot of work to do. Three more. Uh, Brian Lewerke, Michigan State. No. <laughs> okay. Pass. Steven Montez, Colorado. Um, he is probably more late on every single throw than any quarterback in this class. Like, even it, like he he's one of those guys where it's like he might know where he wants to throw. But for whatever reason, there is like a half second disconnect of him seeing the throw and actually like triggering his entire body to like do it. It's like he just something in something between his eyes and his like body just don't connect. And so I think he's no. The last guy I want to ask, because I think he's really, really intriguing because I covered him as a recruit and remember what he meant when he got to Ole Miss. Shea Patterson. He's a safety. That's what I think. Mac Brown recruited Shea because, Patterson because as a safety. You heard it here first. If you look at those, what was it, 2016, 2017 Ole Miss offenses? If you can't look good in that, man, like, I I don't know what to tell you. They had, like, DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown. They had, I think, another guy who was on, like, Dawson some... Knox was there, and he couldn't even get a, get a yeah. look. They Demarcus had, like, Lodge. They, yeah, Demarcus Lodge. Yeah. Like, they had some decent, like, pass-catching running backs even. Like, they had all the talent in the world for him to look good, and he was never better than Jordan Te'amu. That's, whoa. Derek Klassen is the guest this week in the hot seat, the combine hot seat. Derek, where can the people find you on the old interwebs? So you can find me at QB class on Twitter, QBKLASS. I do a lot of stuff for Roto World, do some college football stuff for them, and Football Outsiders, I do their uh, NFL film room stuff. Good deal. Alex Kirshner, where can the people find you? At Alex underscore Kirshner. There's no C in that. Uh, and uh, I had it in my phone yeah, with yeah. a C for like the first, like, oh, more months than I care to admit that we work together. It's okay. We can move past it. Together. I love you, big guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm Richard Johnson, RJ underscore rights. Uh, Derek, thanks a lot for joining us. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was dope.